Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up! And call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Up next, Out Loud with John O'Caldwell, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Welcome back to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. My guest is Dr. Drew Pinsky, a longtime doctor, author, radio and TV personality, and public intellectual. We discuss his background in medicine, the response to the continuing COVID pandemic, how childhood traumas affect our adult relationships in response to hardships, as well as the outcome to the 2020 election. That is to say, you'll learn a lot from this conversation. Let's go. Welcome to Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. Dr. Drew, it's such an honor to be on with you. You have a long career, certainly a lot that I can learn from as uh, someone who has a podcast here. And I just want to thank you for sharing your expertise with my audience. Thank you for coming on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. Thank, Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So many of our listeners have probably listened to you for a very, very long time. You've been on television and the radio since the 1980s. How would you say the viewers' attitudes and habits have changed since then when it comes to consumption of health-related news and information? Well, it's a massive topic. I mean, I, it's 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 literally a different world. <laughs> I mean, I can't even tell you how different it is. Let, let me just just talk for a second about how we seem to approach just, let's say, this current pandemic. I mean, I was very, the reason I got involved in radio was HIV and AIDS, which at the time I got involved in radio, we just had stopped calling GRIDS, gay-related intestinal disease syndrome. We just started to call it AIDS. We didn't have a causative organism yet. And one Anthony Fauci was encouraging us young doctors to get out there and educate because he kept saying, they're going to be 2 million dead, 2 million dead. We're going to have 2 million deaths if you don't get out there and change people's behavior. And we ended up with 175,000 in that same time interval. And uh, it really motivated me to go out and, and talk to people. Now, we didn't at that time go, if you have sex with somebody, you're going to murder them. You're a murderer. Oh, wow. That's not how we do that now. If you if you go around without a mask, you're murdering grandma. That is insane. That is the worst possible health messaging I've ever heard. And yet we seem to have adopted that as axiomatic now. 
So there's that issue, this sort of hysteria with which we're approaching everything. Then we have, of course, the internet that kind of made Loveline sort of obsolete because people had all the information at their fingertips. Why do they need me? And yet what I'm finding is they're just as confused as ever. (laughs) They just, there's such a vast gap between information and knowledge. People don't understand how to apply information, how to assess information, how to consolidate it into a landscape of other information. They just look at facts as well. They look at things presented as facts by the internet and they just don't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. People are as in weird ways, as confused as ever, as ever, yet they kind of know the words. They just don't know what to do with them. Yeah. And I completely agree with that assessment. And I'll, also say uh, to COVID, you talk about Dr. Anthony Fauci and a lot of the things that were said earlier on seem to be incorrect and attitudes around some of the the preventative measures have kind of changed. You look at the CDC measures saying, hey, you wouldn't necessarily have to quarantine for 14 days. Maybe we take it down to seven. I remember initially they were saying, you know, masks would make a difference. Now, seemingly they make a lot of difference. But you've also you've made comments before that you you've said that. Um, perhaps you shouldn't have said when it comes to COVID. What yeah, were those? I mean, I, what, I, what I apologize for, in, in fact, I kind of got it right. But what I apologize for was not appreciating how brutal it is in the very at-risk populations. And in, in, I've seen a lot of COVID now. And, I, and in certain situations, it's, it's brutal. But for the most part, for the 99% of people who contract COVID, it's the flu. Uh, and that's kind of what I was saying, that we were, I could see the panic coming. I could see the way the press was framing this thing before it ever hit these shores. They were using words to describe what was going on in Italy, which was, frankly, a mismanaged situation. They were using staggering, grim, cataclysmic. Well, well, now we're, you know, many hundreds of thousands of cases later. What words are you going to use now, guys? I mean, just the excesses in, in what they how they reported things. And so it became impossible for anyone to know, are we in, a, are we in trouble? Is there, are there a lot of cases? Are there a few cases? Is everyone getting really sick? Are there enough hospital beds? It's impossible. I was on the news two nights ago, and they were reporting a hospital that was overflowing. They have to take a closet and turn it into an ICU. So I went in and found out what was going on. They had a neonatal ICU they weren't using anymore that they stored things in for a short while that they reopened as an adult ICU, perfectly reasonable, perfectly normal procedure. And of, of I, again, the headline was ICU overflowing. What percentage of the ICU beds do you imagine with that headline were filled with COVID cases? It was 25%. 25%, 75% other things. And those other things are typically illnesses. First of all, this time of year, we always get ICU surges mm-hmm. and people are delaying coming to the hospital because of the horrible panic porn that the press is creating. Wow. And people are being disenfranchised who have legitimate and serious health situations because I know a lot of hospitals and doctors said, hey, we can't do your surgery because of COVID. Or don't come in for this situation because of COVID. And um, well, recently, it seems like they realized that was a bad strategy because now they are they're not they're trying not to stop doing what hospitals do. They're trying to continue their usual. They're, they're, they're obviously not doing elective stuff, but and they're trying to preserve beds where they can. But they're trying to function. Healthcare is trying to function, and most of the beds are filled with usual fare, not non COVID. COVID is just adding a stress to the system, which is yeah. what happens in pandemics. 
happened in 2010 with the H1N1 pandemic. And yet no one was even aware that happened. Yeah. And that's so interesting that this pandemic has impacted, at least COVID has impacted African-Americans at such an extreme rate. And I was on. um, Let me let me tell you something interesting. Uh, This is what this I'm I'm really very upset about this. And you need to help me with this, please, because there are nine percent of the population in in Los Angeles are African-American. And yet they're only getting seven percent of the covid cases. In Los Angeles, African-Americans are doing better than everyone else, and Hispanics are doing vastly more poorly. Why? Why isn't the public health department going in and figuring out what's going right in the African-American community and what's going wrong in the Hispanic? And rather than using a sledgehammer and shutting down all of Southern California, use a damn scalpel and fi- I'm, I, I've been saying this lately. I mean, what if when there was a typhoid outbreak in Manhattan at the turn of the century in 1900, they shut down Manhattan? No, the public health department went in and followed the cases and they found typhoid Mary. They extracted typhoid Mary and the outbreak stopped. That's how public health is done. What happened to our public health officials? It's the weirdest thing. Mm. Well, I think the public health officials in, in Los Angeles, they're shutting down um, indoor and outdoor dining and then going out to to dine. So, right. I mean, that's what they're doing. And, and they're, now they're now they're being called to court because th- this is capricious. No evidence. The scariest thing I hear them saying is, well, we have to do something. When I was training residents, I, I taught internal medicine for several years. When I was training residents, I would always tell them, just give me your reasoning, make your decision. I won't fault you. Just as long as you have an evidence, you show me the literature, the, the published literature that backs up your decision. I don't care if I think it's wrong. I'll, 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 I will defend your decision. But if you, A, don't know what to do if you've made a mistake, don't have a backup plan, or B, say, I just did it because I had to do something, I swear to God, I, I will, I'll get your license. That is, that is the do no harm is our first credo in medicine. And again, public health officials are saying, we just had to do something. That is how you kill people. Mm. So I, I'm deeply concerned with the functioning of our public health departments. I don't understand what happened to them. They've abandoned what we knew, know to be effective public health messaging. They're using a sledgehammer as opposed to a scalpel, which is, you know, again, look at where the outbreaks are coming from and shut it down where they're emanating and then find out what you're doing right in places where it's going well. And then this idea of no risk reward analysis and just doing something just to do something is horrific. It's horrific. That's how you hurt people. So you would argue that the public health officials that are in charge of places like Los Angeles, Chicago, and some of these other places where you see cases skyrocketing, they're they're failing the citizens, the residents of those areas. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing. I don't understand what they're doing. I, I I know that they've got problems and they need to intervene. I understand that. Why don't they even talk about? how well it's going in the African-American community. Why don't they even talk about what's going on in the Hispanic community and try to figure out why, why that's going so badly? What is wrong with them? That's what you do in public health. And why are they not really focused on A, expanding hospital capacity? That's their job. And then B, vaccine distribution. So far, vaccine distribution has been a complete disaster. When, when I end with you, I'm calling my hospital and I'm going to call the staff department and I'm going to find out what is going on with their vaccine distribution. Because thus far, they've sent us some, some uh, guidance saying, well, we have a tier system. But we really don't know how much vaccine we're going to get. We made us rely on a lottery. A lottery for people that are working in the ICU with COVID patients? 
this is insane. Where is the public health department? <laughs> Absolutely. And I want to discuss that further, but let's take a quick break first. Stay with us. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new natural hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the natural hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary, indulges your senses, and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the Natural Hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. And you know, you, you, you mentioned Los Angeles, the numbers in Los Angeles, but it's been reported in terms of African Americans, but it's been reported nationally that African Americans hadn't done as well when it comes to COVID. In fact, I had a whole... That's actually true. That's true. I've had a, a whole debate, which I encourage people to go over to my Instagram at Gianno Caldwell. I was on air on Election Day out of Chicago. I was on one of the Fox affiliates and this journalist tried to attack me when I said, hey, you know, folks should just research both candidates. And I mentioned some of the very good things that President Donald Trump has done for the African-American community. And I didn't know if he thought he was talking to someone who was an empty suit or couldn't think for themselves. I'm not yeah. sure what is what his goal was. But he tried to hit me with the fact that African-Americans nationally hadn't done as well when it comes to COVID. And he tried tried to pin that on Donald Trump. Now, my response is underlying health conditions that exist within the African-American community, which makes them more susceptible to the issue of COVID. 
Can you speak to that a little bit? And that, that kind of well, shut them up, but yeah, still so, in all well, the, for people to understand. Right. So, so you're talking about diabetes and obesity, right? Mm, that's and, one of them. Well, yeah, two and, rather. Yeah. I mean, and hypertension and, and, and those are the things that really, you know, when people go, am I at risk for COVID? Here's what makes you at risk for COVID. Advanced age, obesity, metabolic syndrome, which includes diabetes, insulin resistance, and antiphospholipid syndrome. The people that really do badly have antiphospholipid syndrome. And, and that's it. So yes. However, I just read a study that said that African-Americans, when they get sick, do better than other, other races. So I, for a while there, I was hearing they were doing more poorly in terms of adverse outcomes. Now here's a study that says they do better. They're more likely to get it nationally, but apparently more likely to do well. But yes, the, those do, do well when they get COVID to recover yeah, is what you're more saying. More likely okay. not to die really was their endpoint. Okay. But but again, I, I don't know. That's one study. You know, I just, I just surprised me that that was a study that showed up. But but be that as it may, I mean, you you know, and people look at diabetes, obesity, and and uh, hypertension in African Americans and go, this is a this is exposing some sort of something, and you can put a label to it like systemic racism in our healthcare delivery system, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's exposing something. We should be doing something about that. But do you think that systematic racism that black folks are? Well, I, I don't know what to call these things until I understand what's going on, right? Okay. So someone's got to go in and study what is going on. Now, if it is all dietary, and then we can got to analyze why are people making these dietary choices? Is it economic? Is it people are marketing to African-Americans? I, I would argue taking advantage of through marketing strategies for high fat, high corn syrup, high sugar, uh, that, that's... It's, it's, I could put racism in that category. That seems wrong to me. But I don't know if that's what's causing it. I don't know. We have to go look at somebody who's got to study it. Yeah. You know, I, I tend to, to push back a bit when people say that it's just systemic racism, when you have the responsibility of taking care of your own body, working out, eating right, exercising. Now, there's an argument to be made in terms of there being the, the food deserts in particular communities, poor communities, marginalized communities, black communities. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah. That's a conversation. Yeah. Or, you know, and, and, what, and by the way, so Jana, what, what, what you're getting at though, and it's what I'm getting at too, which is, I don't know quite what people mean when they say systemic racism. I'd like to be more, more accurate, more specific. And then once we zero in on a, a pinpoint exactly what the issue is, then stand back and ask ourselves, is hey, is that racism? Is there racism involved in this? And how would we understand that? And and I I there's at least not, you know, sometimes not being sensitive to certain communities' needs is if you want to call that racism, I'm okay with that. Okay. Now my my intrigue on that matter is I, I believe that people apply racism to far too much. Things that are clearly not racist. People have said the trees are racist. I mean, it's just all kinds well, of things. And it, it dilutes. We've not, we've, not, we've not defined our terms, right? We don't know what we're talking about anymore. Th that's what bothers me. I, I'm a scientist. So you've got to be very precise with what you're talking about. And some people think you're talking about one thing. Other people think you're talking about another. So now it's gobbledygook. Yeah, it's just I 100% I, I agree with that. So we, we got to be very careful. And I think people um, have to be very careful because I know there's a lot of desire to please the social justice warriors out there. And I'm yeah. all for social justice. Let me be clear. I think racism does exist and it's something that has to be stomped out. But at the same time, I've seen politically Democrats use the label 
for the benefit of their elections. And that's what's that's right. um, that's right. I think they just, either, just either horrific. A bludgeon, a bludgeon or a political tool. And, and I would argue you're being used when, when politicians do that. 100%. I, I got a question that you, you got to help me with. Okay. The, the term white supremacy, it's another term that's very nonspecific these days. And, and I, I find people are meaning different things. My sense of that got sort of the scales fell from my eyes when I read Frederick Douglass's biography. And in the opening of that biography, he gives a speech and I, I can't, I get chills when I think about what an incredible human being that man was. And we don't, we don't, we don't teach him enough humbly. And he was sort of, he was asked to, to give a consecration of this uh, essentially freeing slave monument in Washington. And he, and he got up and he goes, first of all, this, you know, he just said, look, this is not a, this is not our monument. This is, this is from a different perspective. This is a perspective of the white person and your, your Lincoln, whom you love and who I adore, by the way, I'm a big Lincolnophile. He went, he was a white supremacist. And I, and I just thought I would, it's straight, like cut, they cut through me like a, like some sort of knife. I was like, what my, my Abraham Lincoln. And then I started thinking about it. And I go, Oh, I see what he means. He's talking about Eurocentric perspective on life. And that, and that the he's asking for a more empathic, attuned look from other people's perspective who are in a more narrow group. And it, and it stay. I, I am fine with that assessment of white supremacy, but I don't think people need mean that when they use it anymore. Tell me, help me. You know, when it comes to a lot of the founders, when we think you think about Abraham Lincoln who freed the slaves, you think about George Washington who owned slaves, when you think about. Uh, Thomas Jefferson and a lot of these individuals who helped to found our country, helped to put our country on a particular footing. It for me, I yeah. recognize the fact that these were imperfect men. Yes. And I also recognize the fact that what they did in terms of owning slaves and the culture of that moment was absolutely wrong. 100 yes. percent full stop. Yep. And the next question then comes, can you separate the bad that people have done uh, from the good? And can you yeah. look at those as in two different lenses? You look at, OK, this was positive Lincoln freed the slaves and, or whatever have you. Can you look at that? And I would argue that you can. And I would I say I, I admire Heideggerian philosophy. And let's be clear, he was a Nazi, you know, <laughs> and yet his philosophy is has changed the Western lexicon, the, the continental European lexicon. And I think we can we can separate, you know, the horrible choices that people make in a historical context from their particularly their written philosophies and let me say this because i'm before people start calling us both out on this conversation on Go social ahead. media or on the media yeah, or whatever the case is i want to i want to improve my position i want to i want to make it better and i think yeah. i think that's appropriate i think there's people who were clearly racist and that's that was their whole point they wanted to profit off the 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 work in the back of Men who should have been freed that were stolen from their own country. That those are people who who that was their only incentive. They wanted to profit, and then there were people who did some good things. But I also argue if we're bringing it to common day, I think Democrats who oftentimes apply racist labels to pretty much everything that favors them at that moment. I think about somebody like Joe Biden who sponsored and pushed forth the institutionally racist ninety four crime bill, and Democrats. Yeah, yeah clearly see that as a fault, but they're willing to accept him in spite of. So if they can separate, certainly there's other areas that can be separated, but I, I just find it to be 
such a major hypocrisy when it comes to Republicans who do things wrong. And if you notice, Republicans who often they, they say something racist, they do something racist. Oftentimes the party looks to expel those folks um, versus people like um, what the Virginia governor, uh, 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 Governor Northam, who's still in office. And he's has a very questionable history when it comes to race. So these are one of those things where people play political games versus just calling things out for what they should be. And I think that's that's an issue that, that happens in this country. It's OK, well, I'm not going to call out my side because I don't want to get my side in trouble, but I'm, I'm willing to call out the other side. That is deep right. hypocrisy and that needs to end in this country. One hundred percent. Full yeah. stop. One hundred percent. Yeah. Now, my question for you, because you I mean, you have a, such a prolific career uh, in terms of just medicine. As you mentioned, you were an internist or you are one. You've been a doctor. You've the love line was started in 1984 and ended in 2016. You're, you're a syndicated radio talk show, Dr. Drew on call on HLN, um, life changes on the CW. We go to celebrity rehab with Dr. Drew, sex rehab with Dr. Drew, which I, I'm sure was quite an interesting experience. And the list goes on and on. You're a master at media and being able to disseminate a message of a high caliber and do it in a simplistic way that people can understand. What sparked your interest in Madison, Madison to begin with? Medicine, I'm sorry. You know, I come from a medical family and it was always sort of assumed, oh, you're going to be like your dad, blah, blah, blah. And then when I got to college, I was like, well, I'm not up for this. <laughs> I don't want to do this. And I kind of fished around for about a couple of years. And then I came back and I thought, you know, I really miss the sciences. And just the idea of going back into some sort of more rigorous training kind of made me feel better. And so I started going down that path. And uh, I was just telling my son this morning that I would walk out in the parking lot. I remember every day after anatomy lab at the end of my first year, you know, each each day at the end of first year classes. And I would just get in my car and just go, oh my God, I'm so glad I'm doing this. It is so exciting. It's such important material. I cannot wait to get into the wards. I, I just, it just was in me. And so I, I, because it was more of a calling and, and it was a deep interest as a scientist too, um, it's something that I'm just really grateful I did. Mm -hmm. And it was something I did, I essentially overdid for about 20, 15 years. I sort of crammed three careers into one where I was running medical services in a psychiatric hospital. I was doing inpatient and outpatient general medicine, and then ended up running addiction services for a large psychiatric hospital. And that was a lot. That was a lot. And it, and it gave me a perspective on the human experience in medicine that almost nobody gets anymore. So I've been spending the last few years trying to just give that back because yeah. I just feel like no one has this perspective that I have. And and you oftentimes dealt with those who were battling with addiction, but you also under from, understand it from a, a much different lens. And I say that because from the age of about eight years old into my twenties, my mom was addicted to crack cocaine and other drugs. Mm -hmm. And for me, even though I'm now 33, December 27, I'll be 34 years old. It's still something that I deal with the issues of my mom abandoning me and my other mm -hmm. siblings as a, mm -hmm. as a youngster. Mm -hmm. And she gave custody of me and my siblings to her mother at the time, she was a private duty nurse, and then she pulls out the garage one day. She gets hit by a drunk driver, injures her back, and she can no longer work. So we and lived that, in a that must have sent her down an opiate path. Well, no, no, no. That that was my grand that was my grandmother. So my mother oh, gave over okay. custody of me and my siblings to my grandmother, oh, and my, my grandmother was doing fine at the at one point, but then 
she got into a car accident, a drunk driver hit her, and she could no longer work. So what it ultimately did is set us on a path of poverty and government assistance. And as mm-hmm. one who has had to deal with this issue because I had like a, an absent mom I for yeah. many years, it would be times where I would see her for one day. She would pop up on us for a day. Maybe she'll stick around for two and then she'll be gone for nine months, a year or even more than that. And wow. it was such a horrific experience for us. And it, it remains for a lot of my siblings that way because they feel as though although we're pretty much all adults now, except for maybe one or two of my siblings there's nine of us. She had a bunch Ooh. of bunch of kids. It feels like a lot of us are still dealing with the the emotional trauma of abandonment, not having an active mother present. And then some of them kind of got off into drugs themselves and, and, and crime, not to the degree that she did in terms of the drugs, but it's still one that harms um, our family to this day. And it's one in which I've I've already began counseling a long time ago to, to kind of move on from that because it impacted my relationships with women being in a relationship dating all those different things and you know some of my other stories um you know some of my other stories so it just and uh, it compounds all of those different things and it's like how do you deal with families that are dealing with those issues the uh, the epidemic of um these are are massive massive topics so so let's just first deal with your romantic misadventures when you have a traumatic relationship with a parent, it it sets a kind of an attachment and what some people call a love map that makes you incredibly attracted to people and places, even though they don't look like it to you, emotionally on some level you know are constructed and are just like mom. In some fashion, you'll be super attracted to people with those qualities. Like just for instance, sort of the the... The uh, common trope of, you know, a young lady with an abandoning father is magically attracted to guys that abandon her. And and we just and it's called a traumatic reenactment. Traumas of childhood, we reenact, particularly in our romantic relationships. But no one ever examines really how they get set up. It really gets set up through attractions. We become very. You mentioned that sex addiction show I did. And that's what that was all about. People that had a high degree of trauma in childhood then reenacting the trauma over and over and over again in their adult life and not understanding the sort of pathways that were setting it up. So that's one of the manifestations of uh, childhood trauma. The other is, you know, physical abuse, abandonment, all that stuff uh, changes the wiring of our nervous system. It makes us have difficulty in regulating our emotions. If you then also have the genetic potential for addiction. And let's be fair, addiction is a genetic disorder accounted for on the basis of genetics, 60% on the basis of genetics alone. But if you have trauma and the genetic potential, that's rocket fuel for addiction. That, that's how you, because people that are unregulated have to reach outside of themselves to regulate, and then you trigger addiction. Now you have two problems, trauma mm-hmm. and addiction. And then the third issue you're bringing up, which is the more profound one, not that these other things aren't profound too, but this is the really profound thing that we struggle with, which is the intergenerational transmission of trauma, which is something that unfortunately is sort of ignored, it's really ignored by politicians and something that we have to come to terms with in this country because it's having, it's really the reason we're in all the mess we're in right now. So per your analysis right now, I'm attracted to, or rather in some way, shape or form could be attracted to women who in some way 
reminds me of my mother. So, so not reminds you of your mother, but but is put that the the romantic entanglement is put together in such a way that those old mechanisms are reactivated. So that's what happens in therapy. What happens in therapy is you over time will form a healthy attachment to the therapist and then helpfully now go out in the world and use those sorts of attachments as your templates for romantic choices. As it is now, what people with trauma and abandonment use, they use intensity. They confuse intensity for love. And intensity is the problem. You have to avoid, well, not avoid, but you have to recognize intensity. We always tell trauma survivors that are making uh, recurrent romantic choices that are end up being rem- traumatic reenactments, think butterflies, not lightning bolts. Butterflies, not lightning bolts. And you won't be able to do that if you've not had therapy. It, you'll, you'll keep making the same choice. Therapy, again, disentangles that and brings your attachment into the therapist that, that rewires the templates in your head. Let's put it that way. Huh. I never thought about it that way. Let's continue from there in a moment, right after we take a quick break. Good sleep should come naturally. And with the new Natural Hybrid Mattress, it can. A collaboration between award-winning mattress brand Lisa and home design favorite West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is the culmination of these two companies' shared values. Premium materials, meticulous craftsmanship, and sustainable practices. Made with natural latex, responsibly sourced natural wool, and environmentally safe foams, the Natural Hybrid elevates your sleep sanctuary. Indulge your senses and supports a greener tomorrow. Plus, when you purchase the natural hybrid, you're also helping fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Since 2015, Lisa has donated more than 40,000 mattresses to ensure children and families have a safe place to sleep. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash iHeart. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. When you say that, I think about a scenario that took place in my life some years ago, and you you know about this personally. So about seven years ago, almost eight years ago, I, I've been single. And I've been single because I had fell in love with a young lady who was outstandingly beautiful. She seemingly was very into God and church, and we spent a, a great deal of time together because I, I I want a woman that's a believer, a Christian. And she was very hungry to improve herself. And we spent a great deal of time together and things just began to feel very unsettled. And I, I couldn't figure out what was going on. 
why it felt so unsettled. So I ended up getting onto her smartphone somehow and, and being able to see the contents of it while I was away on a business trip. And what I discovered is this woman was a secret escort and she was dealing with some of the most powerful people in the country. And as you can imagine, I was completely and totally heartbroken. I yeah. couldn't trust anyone. Yeah. Um, yeah. I couldn't trust any woman. But in that case, I just couldn't figure out what to do until I went to counseling and things became better because at one point it seemed like I was just kind of pushing all the attention away from me, you know, women who wanted to date me and women that I was actually, I found attractive, but I was kind of pushing it away and I began to feel and think, was I a commitment phobe? And I come to the realization that I'm not a commitment phobe, but the very real possibility of me becoming one, I think was present. Well, what, what happens again, this is sort of the typical pattern is that people with that, I mean, you, first, first of all, you you avoiding intimacy at that point was sort of a self-preservation move and is a reasonable thing. But what happens is the typical pattern is that people will sabotage real relationships or just not be interested in them and have lightning bolts for these people that they shouldn't be involved with and then get re-traumatized by them. Re-traumatized. And you, you see that in relationships, time. romantic and all, other all relationships. The, all the love line was. The love line was every call was, you know, pointing out these patterns to people. So so the recommendation from you for people who've dealt with those very dramatic situations is to go get with a therapist and you can be healed. Well, my, my recommendation is to take yourself by the hand and see if you what it's like to get involved with somebody that you don't have an intense attraction for, that you just have sort of a mild attraction for. Again, butterflies, not lightning bolts. And see what that relationship feels like. And if you sabotage it or get bored with it or pull away from it, you have your answer <laughs> because then that, that's a, that could have been a relationship that you are sabotaging and you can't tolerate. You have an intimacy disorder at that point, and that needs to be treated. It, it can be treated quite readily. Uh, intimacy. But, but here's the thing. You said just a mild attraction to aren't we all looking for the best looking person and no. has the, the best qualities we can be attracted to? Not necessarily. I mean, and by the way, that means very different things to different people. Right? True. And so, you know, it, it's it, you'd be surprised as you do this work, what you're attracted to changes markedly. Can you tell us about one of these cases you experienced? It was a tough case and you you ended up getting the person on the right track. Well, I mean, one that they, people can can watch is um, we in the sex addiction show. It's funny that we're talking about that show. It was just one of the shows we did. But uh, we treated a porn star. Her name in the porn industry was Penny Flame. We knew as, her as Jennifer Ketchum. And what you will see is, I mean, she came in, she had no intentions of getting treatment. It turns out she had a dick. She had all kinds of stuff going on and she didn't really realize any of it. But we got through to her right away by calling her Jennifer, Jenny. No one had called, they've been calling her Penny for the last 10 years. And this was a pseudo self that she was living in. And we just cut through that and said, no, I want to, I want to get to know Jennifer. And she started dropping some of the bullshit. And you will see her go through the process of really sex addiction treatment at that point, but ultimately stayed with therapy for quite some time after we did the acute treatment, realized she had a cocaine and cannabis problem also, and got into recovery from that. And now she is a really talented social worker married with a kid. Wow. Yeah. Social worker. Yeah. Yeah. 
medical wow, post, how medical long did post worker therapist. She's a therapist and she has a child a and she has a stable relationship with somebody she loves. And she had severe intimacy problems, severe. And lots of similar traumas to what you're describing. Lots of stuff with the dad with cocaine and the mom abandoning the kids and the whole thing. Usual stuff. These are, these are common stories that we have to get much more realistic about their impact. And how long did it take for her to to get on track to, to that degree? Was it years? Was it-, it was years. I mean, it was years, but it wasn't decades. I mean, at the end of a decade, she was a social worker, you know, and she I'd say I'd say five to seven years. She was well in hand. She was well in hand. Wow. OK, well. Switching gears, because I know you, you you have to get out of here shortly. The show wouldn't be complete without at least gazing the field of politics. What is your impression of the outcome of the election in the current state of things? I am my 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 fundamental position when I just examine my feelings are that I'm I'm tired. I'm just so tired of the weird negativity and the Trump derangement syndrome. And I'm just so tired. I'm, mm. I'm tired. Mr. Trump makes me tired too. Some of the things he's like, come on, dude, just come on. You're, you're not come the on. only one. <laughs> so so I, I'm happy to see things settle down. How they settle down, I almost don't have a, I don't have an opinion. I'm just glad they're settling down. We've exposed some things about ourselves in the process of all this, and we need to take a very good look at ourselves. We've been behaving like the mobs during the French Revolution. There's a certain, I'm going to reread, uh, I just got out, in fact, I'm in the room where I'm going to pull the book out right now, Notes from the Underground by Dostoevsky, because everyone has become like that main character in that, in that, in that, in that novel, and, I, and I'm wondering what that means. Do we have to start, you know, this is pertinent to this conversation. We have to become empathic. We have to stop acting out envy. We, we have to change because it's we're behaving like the mobs during the French Revolution and pulling out the guillotines for every little thing. That It's ridiculous. And so we'll see. And you think Trump derangement syndrome, that's just, that, that I've, and I was going to ask you about that, but that's like a a real thing for well, uh, folks. I mean, it's, not a, it's not a DSM-5, you know, category, but uh, boy, you sure see it everywhere. And because I don't have it, I don't have any, I'm, I'm a very middle of the road, moderate. If, if anything, I lean libertarian, mm-hmm. but I, I see the craziness on both sides. And, and so it's really easy for me to call it out because I see it. I see it operating. It's like you're, you're, this is any, these, it's, it's what we used to call neuroticism. We, we have to, we have to, we have to, get much more critical in our thought. We have to recognize envy where it's corrosive. We have to be more empathic and we have to be more thoughtful and not so hysterical. I mean, look what the, the COVID thing is another part of that. We started talking about that. That's another that's another derangement syndrome that we have. And uh, it, it, it needs to change. We need to change. We need to get a hold of ourselves and we need to, you know, Go back to the golden rule, go back to communities, go back to our family and relationships and all the good stuff you and I were talking about. You know, we need to function better in our relationships. And if we have trauma and it's been delivered to us, I've had trauma from my parents. You know, there's a lot of intergenerational trauma. You know, my my family escaped the Ukrainian genocide Mm. and uh, and that stuff gets transmitted to you. It just gets through to you and you have to be aware of it and you have to deal with it. And on a final note from Dr. Drew, have more empathy. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that. And for folks who may be interested in knowing my mom is doing well, she's no longer on drugs and she now works in the in the healthcare field, caring for Love people it. who were in similar situations like her. 
But I at the same that. time, the work she, she, still she continues. She's the kind of people that I keeps me working every day. These recoveries are miraculous. But you have to recover too. She was very sick when you were a child. And that illness, not your mom, the illness had an impact on you. Well, I look forward to doing counseling sessions with you, Dr. Drew. Right. <laughs> if we end up writing together, as we've this, I'll, I'll pull the curtain back a little bit. We've talked a little bit about, trust me, those are extremely emotional and very therapeutic sessions uh, when we really get deep into writing the writing process. Listen, I'm, I'm all game. And I want to thank you so much for coming on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. And we certainly appreciate your very logical and research-based opinion no conspiracy theories here so for folks who may want to listen to this you know we got folks we got democrats that listen and some left-wing publications they 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 love to drum up some some hate so for those who are listening this fact-based i am i am sure something i said here's my approach If, if i stepped on a landmine somewhere please help me do a better job I want to do better. And if, if my mind needs to be changed about something, I want my mind to be changed. Yes. I don't want to sit in a silo and hear an echo. I would love to grow and expand my view of things. So please, if anybody takes issue with any of these things, I love, but but don't, don't use envy and aggression as a way of feeding back. Just give me the feedback and that will change my mind. And you know, we say to our kids, I can't hear you when you talk like that. It's hard mm-hmm. to hear people when they're being aggressive and envious. Just... Just just tell me how I can do a better job, and I'm all for it. Dr. Drew, everyone, this is when we have the claps. <laughs> we don't have the radio technology built. I want to thank you for coming on Out Loud with Gianno Caldwell. It's certainly been a pleasure, Dr. Drew. Privilege is mine. We'll talk soon. Thank you to Dr. Drew for a great interview. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions for me, please email me at outloud at gingrich360.com and I'll try to answer them in our future episodes. You can also find me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Parlor at Gianno Caldwell. And if you're interested in learning more about my story, please pick up a copy of my best-selling book titled Taken for Granted, How Conservatism Can Win Back the Americans That Liberalism Failed. Special thanks to our producer, Stephen Calabria, researcher Aaron Klingman, and executive producers, Debbie Myers, and of course, speaker Newt Gingrich, all part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Don't put off a good night's sleep any longer. Get a Lisa mattress today for a sound sleep tonight. Visit lisa.com slash iHeart. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com slash slash iHeart.
I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening.